Peace be upon you. So the Quran is a firm advocate for the freedom of speech. Individuals should be able to speak freely about their beliefs, their religion, their understanding without fear of violence or being banished or to being attacked by individuals. Consistently in the Quran, you see that the individuals who resort to such tactics to suppress the speech of others is that of the disbelievers. God tells us in the Quran that if we even hear God's revelations being mocked, one of the most you know terrible things that God is telling us not to attack these people, not to shut them out, but basically not to sit with them. In Surah 6 verse 68 it reads, If you see those who mock our revelations, you shall avoid them until they delve into another subject. If the devil causes you to forget, then as soon as you remember, do not sit with such evil people. That God is acknowledging people who mock God's revelations as being evil. But the response is not to attack them. It's not to, to, to neutralize them. It's not to banish them. The tactic is not to sit with them. Don't give them attention. If you want to fight someone who is saying something you don't agree with, the proper approach is to ignore them. But you see that in the Quran, the individuals who try to suppress the speech, the voice of other people, the people that they disagree with, consistently happens by the disbelievers. A perfect example of this is Pharaoh. Pharaoh uses his kingship his in, uh, to intimidate and threaten violence upon those he doesn't agree with. And he belittles individuals who don't share the same opinion as him. In Surah 43, verse 51 through 53, we read, Pharaoh announced to his people, O my people, do I not possess the kingship over Egypt? And these flowing rivers belong to me. Do you not see? Which one is better, me or that one who is lowly and can hardly speak? How come he does not possess treasures of gold? How come the angels do not accompany him? that what Pharaoh is doing is doing an ad hominem attack against Moses. He's mocking the fact that Moses has this speech impediment where his tongue gets tied. And he's saying that this individual who can hardly speak, he doesn't deserve to have his voice being heard, but it gets even worse. When the magicians fell prostrate before uh, God because they witnessed the miracle with their own eyes and they realized that the message that Aaron and Moses provided was from God, this was Pharaoh's response. Pharaoh said, did you believe in him without my permission? He must be your chief, the one who taught you magic. I will surely sever your hands and feet on alternate sides. I will crucify you on the palm trunks. You will find out which of us can inflict the worst retribution and who outlasts whom. You see that this tactic of fear, intimidation, violence is a tactic of the disbelievers. Sadly, we see this in society today, where individuals who have an opinion that isn't part of the mainstream narrative, that they are attacked, that they are threatened with violence, that they are threatened to be canceled or to be banished, and the two are the same. In Surah 8 verse 30, it says, the disbelievers plot and scheme to neutralize you or kill you or banish you. However, they plot and scheme, but so does God. God is the best schemer. That this is the tactic of the disbeliever. In Surah 14 verse 13, it says, those who disbelieve said to their messengers, we will banish you from our land unless you revert to our religion. Their Lord inspired them, we will inevitably annihilate the transgressors. Today in society, if you basically are against this woke culture, against this uh, leftist ideology, the tactics that they try to do is they try to cancel you. They, they basically fight you until you revert to their religion. This is a tactic of the disbeliever. In Surah 7 verse 88, we read, The arrogant leaders among his people said, We will evict you, O Shweb, together with those who believed with you from our town, unless you revert to our religion. He said, Are you going to force us? This is the tactic that the disbeliever uses, that they are not content until you disbelieve along with them. 
In Surah 109, entitled The Disbelievers, or in Arabic, Al-Kafirun, it reads, O you disbelievers, I do not worship what you worship, nor will you worship what I worship, nor will I ever worship what you worship, nor will you ever worship what I worship. To you is your religion, and to me is my religion. This is the tactic of the believer, that each person is allowed to believe whatever they want, be it belief or disbelief. But you realize, among the disbelievers, they are not content until everyone disbelieves along with them. And this becomes incredibly problematic when you have a society that's pushing an agenda from Satan. And you think about what they do to individuals who do not side with their understanding in regards to, say, homosexuality, transgenderism, uh, uh, socialist norms, that individuals who do not share those beliefs, that they attack them, that they threaten to banish them, that they threaten to cancel them. In uh, Surah 26, verse 167, in regards to Lot, they said, unless you refrain, O Lot, you will be banished. And what was it that Lot was doing? He was preaching to them that their sinful conduct was not appropriate. He wasn't fighting them. He wasn't attacking them. He was using his words to communicate morality. In Surah 27, verse 54 uh, through 56, it reads, Lot said to his people, How could you commit such an abomination publicly while you see? You practice sex with the men lustfully instead of the women. Indeed, you are ignorant people. The only response from his people was there saying, Banish Lot's family from your town. They are people who wish to be pure. The disbelievers have a problem with individuals who are spreading morality, individuals who are thinking consciously of God, that they are not content with them until they abandon their religion and join them in disbelief. And this is the difference between belief and disbelief. This is the difference between a believer who spreads God's message and a disbeliever who fights anyone who has a differing opinion than they do. Now, there are other ways that individuals can fight speech that are a lot more subversive that aren't as apparent. And keep in mind, Satan is an incredibly tricky individual. He threatened that he's going to come from our right, from our left, from our front, our back, that he has all these tricks up his sleeve. And what Satan wants is to suppress the speech that goes against his narrative. So we read in Surah 17, verse 61, it reads, When we said to the angels, fall prostrate before Adam, they fell prostrate, except Satan. He said, Shall I prostrate to one you created from mud? He said, Since you honored him over me, if you respite me till the day of resurrection, I will possess all his descendants except a few. He said, Then go, you and those who follow you will end up in hell as your requital, as an equitable requital. And then in the following verse, God is setting the limitations to what Satan is allowed to do. In Surah 17, verse 64, it reads, You may entice them with your voice and mobilize all your forces and all your men against them. So God is saying that the limitation that Satan has is that he can use his voice and to mobilize his forces against them. What's interesting is the Arabic that's used, that's translated as entice, when it says you may entice them with your voice, is wayastafiz. Uh, Wayastafiz is indicative of scaring or banishing. We see the same root used two other times in the Quran, both in Surah 17. What is in 1776, where we read, They almost banished you from the land to get rid of you so that they could revert as soon as you left. And you see that same root, layastafizunaka, uh, used in 76 in the sense for banish. And we see the same root used again in 17.103 when it reads in regards to Pharaoh. It says, when he pursued them as he chased them out of the land, we drowned him together with those who sided with him, all of them. And we see that it's the same root, yastafizihum, 
which in this case is to chase them out or to scare them. But again, with language, with words, is what's being insinuated in 1764, that when uh, God is saying that Satan is allowed to entice them with his voice uh, and mobilize all his forces and all his men against them, that this is one of the tactics that Satan is allowed to employ, that he uses his speech in order to shut out dissenting opinions. And what's fascinating is when we continue reading, we see that it pivots to a different topic that seems almost unrelated. And there's an interesting phenomenon in the Quran that when you see these two almost un, um, these two topics that come after one another that seem unrelated, there's something deeper there for us to pull from. So we just read about this discussion that God had with Satan and the tactics that Satan was allowed to, to utilize. And it continues in 1766 talking about ships floating. It says, your Lord is the one who causes the ships to float on the ocean, that you may seek his bounties. He is most merciful towards you. If you are afflicted in the middle of the sea, you forget your idols and sincerely implore him alone. But as soon as he saves you to the shore, you revert. Indeed, the human being is unappreciative. Have you guaranteed that he will not cause the land on shore to swallow you or that he will not send upon you a tempest? Then you find no protector. Have you guaranteed that he will not return you to the sea another time? Then send upon you a storm that drowns you because of your disbelief. Once this happens, we will not give you another chance. Now, if we read these two uh, groups of verses, back to back, we'd say, what is the connection between these ships in the middle of the sea and the uh, possibility of being drowned out and that of Satan in his tactics that he's allowed to use against the human being? Our voices cause waves of sound through the air in order to be perceived. And what happens in a discussion is two people, in essence, are at a dis uh, debate. And one side is speaking for the truth and the other side is speaking for falsehood. Now, in that debate, you might end up losing despite being on the side of truth. And at that moment, when you're losing in that debate, it's as if you've been stranded in the middle of the ocean and you implore God to give you the right words to allow to strengthen your argument and he saves you. But what happens the next time you're in that uh, same predicament? Do you forget your creator? Do you forget God? That no different than a boat in the middle of the ocean, that when we are in this discussion, in these heated moments, having these discussions, pushing this air through this medium of uh, waves um, to, to, to communicate, that sometimes we get stranded as well. And if we forget that, and we're going to be left in the middle of the ocean without a life vessel. In Surah 38, verse 22 through 23, we read about the two feuding brothers who came to David to ask to settle their dispute. What's interesting is the, the word that the brother uses who only had a single sheep. It says, when they entered his room, he was startled. So that was David was startled. They said, have no fear. We are feuding with one another and we are seeking your fair judgment. Do not wrong us and guide us in the right path. It says, this brother of mine owns 99 sheep while I own one sheep. He wants to mix my sheep with his and continues to pressure me. The Arabic for this continues to pressure, it would literally be translated as he overpowers me in speech or debate. The word is khitabi, which is from the same root as the word for khutbah, meaning a sermon. That this individual, this brother with the 99 sheep, he overpowers him in his argumentation. Now, he is the one who's in the wrong. 
trying to pressure his brother to give up his one remaining sheep. And God is saying that this is a tactic that individuals use in order to gain supremacy. No different than what Pharaoh was attempting to do to Moses when he was criticizing him and said, the one who can hardly speak. Now, in this discussion, what could happen is that our speech gets drowned out. When you have a mob of people who are angry and they are the majority, they can drown out the voices of those in the minority. No different than a boat in the middle of the sea that has no life vessel, that has waves upon waves crashing upon it. That it's these times when we implore God for the right words, for the right argumentation, for the right salvation to save us from these moments. Because this is one of the devil's tactics that he will try to use his minions, his followers, to subvert the speech of individuals that are preaching the worship of God alone, that are preaching righteousness and morality. That these become the, the voices that get drowned out in society. And there's another tactic that the devil uses in order to manipulate, in order to trick people in speech. And it's by obscuring language. And it's another tactic that the devil uses. In Surah 2 verse 102, we read about certain knowledge that was disseminated by the two angels of Babel, Harut and Marut. And it reads, they pursued what the devils taught concerning Solomon's kingdom. Solomon, however, was not a disbeliever, but the devils were disbelievers. They taught the people sorcery and that which was sent down through the two angels of Babel, Harut and Marut. These two did not divulge such knowledge without pointing out, this is a test. You shall not abuse such knowledge, but the people used it in such evil schemes as the breaking up of marriages. They can never harm anyone against the will of God. They thus learn what hurts them, not what benefits them. And they know full well that whoever practices witchcraft will have no share in the hereafter. Miserable indeed is what they sell their souls for, if they only knew. Now what is the takeaway from this verse? If we look at the Arabic for the word for magic, it's al-sirah. This means not just magic and sorcery, but also it means seduction, or eloquence, or deception, or hypnotism, or transforming a thing from its proper manner to another manner. That what we're seeing here is this reference to Babel. Because even in English, Babel has a meaning. It means gibberish. It means words that don't mean anything. In the history of the Tower of Babel, that notice it doesn't use the term Babylon. It uses Babel in regards to the uh, where the two angels went. That the story behind the ta Tower of Babel was that people had one common language to communicate. But when they were using this, this method for nefarious reasons, that their language was obscured, scattered, and obfuscated, that they weren't able to communicate. And because they weren't able to adequately communicate with one another, they were no longer to make progress. And this is another tactic that the devil uses in order to limit our abilities for growth by deteriorating and obscuring language. In Surah 63 verse 4, we see that this is a tactic of the hypocrite. It reads, when you see them, you may be impressed by their looks. And when they speak, you may listen to their eloquence. They are like standing logs. They think that every call is intended against them. These are the real enemies. Beware of them. God condemns them. They have deviated. 
let's unpack this one single verse. These are individuals that they, they look impressive. They speak with eloquence. But because they're as standing logs or logs propped up, they have no roots. They have no foundation. And they think that every call is intended against them. Does this not remind you of these individuals who are considered snowflakes in society? That the second that their ideas are criticized, that they basically cry foul. They think everything is against them. That everything is uh, targeted towards them. That they think that they are the center of the universe. This is the tactic that the devil uses to instill into his subjects and to propagate in this world. One of the ways that we're seeing that the devil is manipulating society and causing deterioration in the morality of individuals is by obfuscating and obscuring language, by using euphemisms for terms that would be completely abhorred by society to make them more palatable. And you see this in Islamic culture, and you see this in the Western culture. For instance, in Islamic culture, they have something known as nikah muta'a, which translates to a pleasure marriage. The intent behind this is a form of prostitution. Rather than calling it prostitution, what they do is they say, oh, it's a temporary marriage to make it more palatable for the masses. You see this in Western culture where abortion becomes pro-choice or family planning or uh, uh, gay marriage becomes equal marriage where the act itself would be considered abhorred by society, but by doing so, by giving it these euphemisms, all of a sudden it becomes more palatable. And this is a way that the Satan is manipulating the thoughts and the, the uh, morality of individuals. Uh, recently, we have the ACLU out of all organizations claiming that there's, this is a, from a tweet from November 19, 2019, says there's no one way to be a man. Men who get their periods are men. Men who get pregnant and give birth are men. Trans and non-binary men belong. So they're saying in essence that men and women, that these are social constructs, that there's nothing about the biology of being able to give birth that dictates if someone is a man or a woman, or if someone can menstruate, it doesn't dictate if they're a man or a woman. This kind of changing of the language, it becomes so detrimental to the way that we can progress, the way that we can communicate. Uh, recently, J.K. Rowling, the author of Harry Potter, on June 6, uh, wrote this tweet. People who menstruate, hmm, I'm sure there used to be a word for those people. Someone help me out. Woomben, Woompand, Woomud. And this was in regards to people claiming that men who menstruate are still men. No, I'm sorry, if you menstruate, you are a woman. Biologically, you are a woman. And these are not things that we can change. God is the one who dictates the gender of an individual, the sex of an individual. And yes, I'm using these terms interchangeably because one of the things that the left wants to do is to obfuscate these terminologies that they said that no, gender is different than sex. Now they're saying it's one and the same, that these are all social constructs. And what happens is when you manipulate the language, all of a sudden reality changes for people. There's a quote that says, the basic tool for the manipulation of reality is the manipulation of words. If you can control the meaning of words, you can control the people who must use the words. So what we're seeing right now is a mass campaign from individuals to change the meanings of these words. And you saw this heavily 
prior but predominantly among the BLM movement that they're changing the word of racism to include systematic racism where neither of these terms are defined. What does that even mean? And this all stems back from something known as postmodernism. Postmodernism is the belief that there is no objective truth. There is no objective reality. Each person has a narrative as if that's not crazy enough. Uh, on July 5th, Brittany Marshall, a uh, teacher and a BLM supporter, she wrote that 2 plus 2 equaling 4 is a cultural, and because of Western imperialism colonization, we think of it as the only way of knowing. So she's insinuating, and you see this across, that math is inherently racist, that this is only a viewpoint of Western imperialism and not an objective fact. Now, when we live in a society where there is no objective truth, then everything becomes permissible. Because if these foundations of fact, of truth, of science are debatable, then nothing stands. Then we have no foundation. We have no way of being able to communicate and we become the Tower of Babel. I want to look at one other piece of how when we obscure language and the meanings of words and the way that we communicate, that it leads to corruption. There's two verses in the Quran that, again, they appear to not be related, but they come one after the other. In 2.188, it says, You shall not take each other's money illicitly, nor shall you bribe the officials to deprive others of some of their rights illicitly while you know. So you say, okay, this is condemning bribery and corruption. And in 2.189, it says, They ask you about the phases of the moon. Say, they provide a timing uh, device for the people and determine the time of Hajj. It is not righteous to beat around the bush. Righteousness is attained by upholding the commandments and being straightforward. You shall observe God that you may succeed. Now, if you just saw this on a surface level, the question is, what do these two verses have to do with one another? Why did God talk about bribery and corruption and then follow that by questions about the phase of the moon? 2.189 uses an interesting Arabic idiom. The literal translation, if we were to translate word by word, is do not enter homes through the back door. This is equivalent to the American idiom of do not beat around the bush in regards to being straightforward with one another. And so what do these two verses have to do with one another? What is the correlation between being straightforward and corruption? In 1946, a man by the name of Rudolf Flesch designed the Flesch Readability Score, which is a method to measure the readability of text. The higher the score, the easier it is to read, while the lower the score, the more difficult and incomprehensible the text. So for instance, the score goes from a uh, score as low as zero to 100, and a newspaper comic has a score of 93. It's easy for a person to read, a child can read, can understand. Sports Illustrated has a score of 63. The Wall Street Journal has a score of 43, while the IRS tax code, the book for uh, the taxes, has a score of minus six, meaning that no one is going to be able to read it and make sense of what it's actually saying. So in the book, Why Business People Speak Like Idiots, uh, Bullfighter's Guide, the authors looked at company shareholder letters from the turn of the millennium to assess their flesh read readability scores. The researchers analyzed these scores for two kinds of companies. The first group were well-run companies that had a strong reputation and years into the future proved that they were successful companies. The second group of companies were ones that were riddled with scandals in the years to come. What they discovered was the properly managed companies all had scores in the range of 40 and above, while the scandalous companies had scores all in the 20s and below. 
This difference in scoring is attributed to the fact that companies that were operating under legitimate business practices would have less to hide compared to companies that were trying to obfuscate their shady dealings. Now, these findings do not mean that all the confusing corporate jargon in shareholder letters is a sign of corruption, but it's an indication that a great way to hide corruption in plain sight is through confusing speech. So when you're looking at something that's saying the mission statement of this group, the mission statement of this company is X, Y, and Z, when you read it and you have trouble understanding what is it that they're actually conveying, let that be a sign to you that there might be more in those words, in the selection of how it's uh, depicted, than we're making it out to be. And there's another example in connection between speech and corruption uh, from lobbyist Jack Abramoff. So in 2006, Jack Abramoff, he was the most wealthy, successful lobbyist uh, in the United States, and he was sentenced to six years in prison for bribery and fraud. The cornerstone to his prosecution was regarding a single obscure sentence that he bribed politicians to include into a piece of legislation that would provide his clients millions of dollars without anyone realizing what he had done. These individuals... (laughs) They added this one sentence to this reform bill, and no one had any clue what the purpose of this sentence was. In a 60 Minutes interview in 2011, Abramoff, this is what he said. So he said, so what we did was we crafted language that was so obscure, so confusing, so uninformative, but so precise to change the U.S. code. And what they added, I'll read it to you. It's, this is the one sentence they added in this reform bill. Public law 100-89 is amended by striking section 207 in parentheses 101 stat dot 668,672 close parentheses. This one phrase was giving his client a backdoor license to open up an Indian casino. And no one had any clue that this is what this sentence does. And this was the intent of adding this sentence, was that it was intentionally confusing, uninformative, didn't provide any details, and it was a tall tale sign of the corruption that was there. So now when we read these verses where it says, you shall not take each other's money illicitly, nor shall you bribe the officials to deprive others of some of their rights illicitly, while you know, we see that that is the connection with being straightforward, using language that conveys meaning and not trying to confuse individuals with jargon or deceptive speech, that this is not a sign of the believer. So God willing, let's recap on what we learned. One, the Quran strongly advocates the freedom of speech, that the individuals consistently in the Quran who are trying to squash dissenting opinions, who are trying to banish individuals, who are trying to cancel individuals from being able to speak freely, are those of the disbelievers. That what the devil does is he tries to intimidate people and drown them out with his speech. And when the devil wins over an individual, the way that they try to make these heinous, abhorrent acts palatable to the masses is by obscuring the language, by using euphemisms, by tricking people into believing something that is morally apprehensible. So God willing, we're going to end there. If you guys got comments or questions, please hit us up at crontalk at gmail.com and please download the Cron Study app on iOS to get the word by word 
Arabic translation of the Quran along with the translation, the verse as a whole. And if you guys like the podcast, please leave us a review, share it with other people. And until next time, peace and God bless.